we want to welcome you to the First Pulpit Podcast with Pastor Brent Snook. We truly hope that the message will bring you the encouragement you need today. After you listen, we'd appreciate it if you take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. When you do, you'll be encouraging others to listen so they can discover the saving power of the gospel through God's Word. What a tremendous blessing it is to be able to give towards projects like that. And uh, this is into a country that we should not even name because it's underground. Did you catch what he said? One of the largest evangelical churches. Isn't it interesting? We think that we should measure everything by America. And uh, I'm telling you, there's a whole great big world that Jesus died for and a whole great big world that God is working in. And uh, he is working in closed countries where we would think, oh, everything would be underground. And oftentimes it is. But what a blessing it is to be able to give Bibles to a work there in that closed country. Man, I'm thankful for Steve Ziner as well, who is a member of our church or, and uh, has been so faithful in doing the same thing. And what a blessing it is that we can have a part in giving Bibles to places like that. Well, Philippians chapter 3, I want you to turn there, if you would. Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> some of you are familiar with the term day trader, right? You know what a day trader is, and some of you probably, you've heard it, but you never really have investigated to know much about it. A day trader is a high-risk investor who jumps in and out of the stock market oftentimes several times a day in order to capitalize on small changes so that they can get the benefit of it. They virtually have no real interest at all in the company and in the stock, but rather they just are interested in cashing in on some of the gains. They simply try to catch stocks that they think are going to rise in value in a short period of time and then they'll sell and they'll go looking for another uh, quick uh, pick opportunity so that they can gain some money on that. You know, I got thinking about that a number of, uh, some time ago. And uh, within the church, I wonder how many day traders there are. You say, you're looking at me, I got your attention. All of you looked up at me when I said that. I have to explain what I mean, don't I? Uh, They know a little bit about God in reality, and many think that they can buy a small share of Christianity.com without first investigating Jesus' claim of being Lord over all of their life. They just kind of in and out in and out for a short fix. Let me tell you about a man who had nothing to do with what we would think of as Christianity.com. You know him well. His name is the Apostle Paul. And he gave a short little excerpt about his life in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 8. Read with me. He said, but what things were gain to me. He's talking about before he was saved. All of the religious accolades that he had, and the list was very long, and he was a very high up religious man that everybody looked up to. 
But you know how he came to a place on the Damascus Road where he trusted Jesus as his personal Savior. And he says, all the things before that that were gained to me, he said, those I counted loss for Christ. And then he went on in verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung or trash, that I may win Christ. You know, it's interesting. Jesus knew what it was like to have a great multitude follow him, didn't he? I mean, Jesus actually, you ever wonder why Jesus said sometimes to those who uh, he would heal and he would say, don't go tell everybody? I think it was just a practical reason. He could hardly get from city to city. And the multitudes followed him in such huge crowds. They wanted to see and get a little more uh, uh, interesting miracle they could watch him perform. Or maybe a, a, a new tip that they could use in how to make it better in life. But in reality, all they were really were were we would call them groupies. Just run around wherever Jesus was in a great big crowd and see what was going to happen today. <clears throat> Did you know that Jesus has never been on the lookout for crowds? He never has been. He's never really been on the lookout for crowds. But rather what Jesus Christ is looking for is commitments. People that are committed to him. He is looking for people with availability that will be committed to him. Which brings me to a question this morning, and I want to ask every single one of us this question. Are you available? Now, I know you're expecting me to go on with my next thought, but I want to just camp out there for a second so that you'll answer that in your own heart. Are you right now available? Now, it's really not fair for me to ask you that until I give you a definition of what I mean by availability. So let me give you a definition, all right? What is availability? Availability is to place oneself totally at God's disposal for God to do anything and everything in you and through you and with you and to you that he chooses. Let me repeat that definition. Availability is to place oneself totally at God's disposal for God to do anything and everything in you and through you and with you and to you that he chooses. 
You remember the story of good old Moses. We all know that story, and it's a pretty exciting one. He's just out there minding his own business. He's taking care of the sheep that are out there in the flock. He's doing what he's done for so many years, and one day there's a burning bush, and it's not being consumed. He goes over. He tries to find out what the burning bush is all about, and a voice comes out, and it's God. He's not debating whether it's God or not. He figures it out really quick, and God sends him on an assignment. The assignment is quite difficult. The assignment was, Moses, go back to Egypt, and there's a whole lot in that one. That's not a safe place for him to go. Go back to Egypt. My people have been in bondage, and I want you to deliver them. And you know what Moses said. He said, Lord, I am very slow of speech, and I'm not a good speaker. Somebody else needs to do that one. But God gave him an answer. What did God say? Hey, he said, who has made your mouth? Who's made you to be able to talk? Who has made your mouth? What was God saying to him? He was saying, Moses, just be available. Be available. And so I want to do something today and next Sunday. I want to take and look at six Old Testament characters in the Bible and speak on the subject of availability. So I want you to look with me, first of all, at a man by the name of Abraham who was available to do the will of God. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22 this morning. Genesis chapter 22, and we'll really just look at a couple of passages In Genesis chapter 22, would you begin reading with me in verse 1? It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. I can never read that verse without going back and giving the emphasis that it really shares. Notice how God says this to him. He says, take now thy son. And then he says, your only son. And then he goes a step further and he says, you know, that only son that you love so much. And get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there. Abraham was available to do the will of God and his response was, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I am here. Here I am ready to do God's will. You and I would have a term for that. We would call that obedience, right? Have you ever stopped to wonder why it is that some Christians are not available to God? Now, I'm going to say that if we were in a smaller class and we just used that as a discussion question, we would probably come up with a good number of reasons why people aren't available to God, wouldn't we? And we would all come up with some reasons, and they'd probably all be good reasons, and they'd probably all be worth focusing on. 
But don't you agree that probably all of them would fall under the umbrella of why don't certain people really, why aren't they available to the will of God? Answer, because they really don't trust God. There's not that trust in God that we really truly believe that it'll all work out together for good to them who love God. A number of years ago, in fact, I, I think it was probably around 20 years ago, there was a commercial. It's a very interesting commercial. Some of you probably will remember it. It showed a little girl, a little cute girl. She was so small, maybe five years of age, and she's standing in this beautiful, big, huge meadow. And the cameras showed her in this vast meadow, and then the cameras passed on to another area of the field, and it showed a gigantic African rhinoceros that was beginning a lethal charge right at that little girl. Any of you remember that? The entire time, the little girl is just standing there, so small, so cute, so innocent, and she's just got this huge smile on her face, and she didn't seem to be bothered by that rhinoceros charging at her at all. And as the rhinoceros got closer and closer and closer, the words appeared on the screen. Here's what the words said. Trust is not being afraid. Well, a split second before that rhinoceros tramples her to death, the rhinoceros stops. And that little innocent girl reaches up her little arm and hand and she reaches up and she pets the horn on that rhinoceros. And then the final words appeared on the screen. Even when you are vulnerable. That commercial was designed to show why we ought to trust an insurance company. That's what it was about. Do you know why the words of Scripture have been penned? Do you know why the Word of God has been written? So that you and I will trust God. Friend, whether you are a plumber or a preacher, whether you're an electrician or an evangelist, whether you are a mechanic or a missionary, Our duty as God's people, our privilege as God's people, and our exciting thrill is to find the will of God, follow the will of God, and finish our life in the will of God. So the first example we have this morning is Abraham, who was willing and available to do the will of God. You know the story. It's Abraham and his dear son Isaac. Now, Abraham was accustomed to doing and being available to do the will of God. If you go and you read the book of Genesis, you're going to find a man by the name of Abraham who continually was doing the will of God. And God was moving him to the ultimate test. First of all, God said, Abraham, I want you to get up out of the land of Haran. I want you to get out of that land and take your family with you and your, uh, uh, your livelihood with you, and I want you to go. And Abraham said, where? And God said, I'm not going to tell you. And he didn't. 
He said, I'm going to lead you to an unknown land. Do you know what Abraham did? He did what God told him to do. He got up and he went. Do you remember when the well-watered plains of Jordan were out there and God had given them a land, but he took Lot with him, his nephew, and do you remember how that there was a problem between the herdsmen, the workers of Lot and the workers of Abraham? It wasn't Lot and Abraham, it was the workers. People can be a great blessing and people can be a real hassle, both. And Abraham said, hey, Lot, he said, our, our workers aren't getting along there's land out here there's enough for all of us hey lot you choose where you wait a minute what do you mean you choose no abraham said go ahead and choose and i'm going to trust god on another occasion abraham was needed to go and fight in a battle and deliver Lot and some of his people out of Sodom. And you remember what happened? Man, the king came along after they won the battle, and the gifts of Sodom's king came and said, Man, Abraham, I want to give you all of this. Do you remember what Abraham did? He said, No, thank you. Appreciate it, but no thanks. What are you talking about? Here's all these gifts. You did such a great job. I want to give these to you. And he said, no, I don't want to take them because one day when God blesses me in such a great way, you'll take credit for it. No, thank you. With each surrender, he was learning how to scale the heights, preparing him for the ultimate challenge that God had for him. Oh, never had God ever required anything like this from Abraham. For in verse 7 and verse 8, the Bible says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, My father. And Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Can, can you gather in with me this morning and let's review this agonizing story? And let's not look at it like just the story we've heard spoken of so many times. But can we somehow put ourselves in the place of Abraham? The wood is getting heavier step by step. Isaac looks at his father Abraham, and in the old man's hands, Isaac saw that which spelled his own doom. In one hand is the knife, in the other hand is the fire. Can you see the sweat beating up on Isaac's brow as a young man as he's carrying this huge load placed upon him, and with the perspiration beating down on his brow, he wondered, Where, where's the lamb going to come from? Where's it at? Oh, if the road ahead was terrible for Isaac, imagine what it must have been like for good old Abraham. They get up to Mount Moriah and they begin to build the altar. Bringing the wood. 
And Abraham's still listening to God, still listening, waiting to see what God is going to do. And God, well, he's still silent. And Abraham, with breaking heart, takes the cord and he begins to bind his own son. Can you imagine the confusion of Isaac? But there's no struggle, only surrender from his son. He'd watched his dad walk with God. And Abraham takes the knife in his hand and still, what is there from God? Waiting for something, but silence. Abraham lifts the knife to God. How in the world can he do this? Because he was available to do the will of God. Do you know what God never tells us? I don't find this in Scripture. God does not say um, you're to give away everything. I, I don't see where God ever says that, do you? But I do see what he says. He doesn't say, hey, you're supposed to give everything away. No, what he says is not give away everything, but rather give up everything. You've got to be willing to sign the title deed of everything you have and everything that you are, even if it means, uh-oh, given your children to go to the mission field. Leaving home to go to another place of service. Answering his call for your whole life. Giving up a lucrative salary in order to follow his call to missions or ministry or some other area to serve him. Now, having said that, please allow me to say this. Do not ever get the idea that sacrifice for God is a negative thing, for it's not. Sacrifice to God is a very positive, amazing thing. I don't know anybody that's ever gone to the mission field that regretted it. Do you, Cindy? I don't know anybody that's ever said, oh man, if you only knew what I've given up to go to the... I don't know one person that's ever said that to me. I don't know one pastor that's ever said, I can't stand... I don't know what... I, let, let, look, you want, let me let you in on a secret. You know what my salary was when I came here? You want me to tell you? You want to know, Thomas? You're just laughing. Do you want to know? 18,000. You say, well, that was back in the Stone Ages. No, it qualified for everything you can imagine. My dad said to me, Brent, you better think twice about it because God does lead and show you his will by what you can live on. And I said, well, Dad, God will provide. You know what? Umpteen years later, and I'm telling you right now, 
you know that was poverty level. If you're my age, you know it was poverty level. Umpteen years later, you've never heard me say, and my kids have never heard me say, I wish God would have called me to something else. Abraham said, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Oh, Abraham wasn't about to quit because he was available to do the will of God. You know what? I wish that all of us would be like the one man who said this, and you can read it on the screen. He said, my face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. He said, my way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. He said, I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I won't ponder in the pool of popularity or meander in a maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up. I won't slow up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Man, oh man, what would the kingdom of heaven be like if Christianity was filled with people like that? Oh, a person will never, ever, 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 ever know the joy of the Lord outside of the will of God. They will never know the joy of the Lord outside of the will of God. Abraham said, Lord... Here am I, willing and available to do the will of God. You want to know what the result of it was? Verse 18. And in thy seed, God said, shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you, Abraham, have obeyed my voice. Oh, you know the rest of the story, how God certainly did provide a lamb, a ram in the thicket, and Abraham was taken off of the altar, but, or Isaac was taken off of that altar, but oh, Abraham passed the test, and he was available to do the will of God. And man, God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. He was available to do the will of God, and God blessed him greatly. Well, there's a second Old Testament character I want to look at. Abraham was willing and available to do the will of God. But a man by the name of Jacob is now, as we will see, available to do or to work with God. Turn to chapter 31, if you will, and let's begin reading in verse 11. The angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, hear those words again, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which... Leap upon the cattle, their rings straked, speckled, and grizzled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has done unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of your people, your kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any purpose or inheritance for us in our father's house? 
Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our Father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Then Jacob rose up. He set his sons and his wives upon camels. You'll notice the same words from Jacob. Jacob says, Lord, here I am. Why? Because God had seen what Jacob had gone through for quite some years and the deception that Laban had had on him. And he said, I want you to tie. It's time. It's time to get up. It's time for you to go. And Jacob said, all right, Lord. And immediately, as God said go, Jacob did go. Oh, how we, you and me, must learn to walk with God. You know what God doesn't really want? He has no desire for celebrities. Yeah, you ever notice how um, sometimes an athlete will um, come on the scene or some Hollywood person, and we've had plenty of them just in the last year, that will come on and they'll say, they'll start following Jesus, and, and churches will jump on that bandwagon, and they'll promote them and have them speak and have them come, and it's like, You think God's up there like so excited just because he's an athlete or a Hollywood star? God's not into celebrities. Now, I'm thankful for every Tim Tebow out there. I'm thankful for every Shroud out there, Stroud out there, who, uh, you know, every time he gets before a camera, I'm thankful for that. Kirk Cousins, I had a clip of him. I'm grateful for him. But I'm telling you right now, God doesn't need celebrities. You know what God wants? Servants. People like you and me who will simply be available to walk with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we are told, walk not after the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Amos chapter 3, it says, how can two walk together except they be agreed. First John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, John penned the words and he said, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But, he said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you want fellowship with God I mean, honestly, do you really in your heart and your soul say, man, how I want fellowship with God? Then walk in the light. It's the only way you'll have it. What is it that breaks our fellowship with God? It's one thing. What is it? What is it? Sin. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. Oh, it doesn't take away our salvation, but it sure takes away our fellowship Sin robs us of our joy, and it traps us every time. But walking with God means that now there's, we walk in a different way. I walk so differently now than I did before I said, Lord, I want to be available for you. My walk is nothing like it used to be. My friends changed. My habits changed. The places I went changed. Everything about me changed 
when I said, Lord, I want to be available to walk with you. Walking with God means that, yes, we become different. doesn't mean you're an odd idiot. doesn't mean you're some fanatical weirdo. doesn't mean you dress like you came out of the 1940 tunnel. doesn't mean you wear your hair like that. doesn't nothing to do with it. What's it have to do with? The way we let our light shine for Jesus Christ because we walk with Jesus Christ. We are different. Listen, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. I love these teenagers over here. Hey, teenagers, look at me. Man, I love it, you sitting down here. This is fantastic. Uh, it makes me, y'all you, you, you notice I look over here more now. Because these teenagers, I've always had a heart for teenagers. Uh, if I wasn't a senior pastor, I'd be a youth pastor. I love it. Love them. Why? Because their lives are so flexible. They're either going to really walk with God or they're going to wander away. I'm telling you, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold because everything about the world will squeeze you right there. It'll pull you in their direction in that way. Don't let the standards and the values of this world determine how you live, whether you're a businessman or whether you're a teenager. Do not let the world mold you to make you the way they want you to be. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you don't know these verses by heart, you ought to memorize it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, he's talking to the Christian, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then he says what? And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? Y'all ready? I'm never going to be transformed except through the renewing of my mind. Hey, that takes some work, doesn't it? It doesn't come naturally, does it? You turn on the radio, you don't automatically hear wholesome words. You turn on the TV, you don't automatically see wholesome advertisements. You go to the school system, you don't automatically see holy events on gender. You do not see that in the world. It gets worse and worse and decays more and more. So how am I going to not be conformed to the world? By the renewing of my mind that I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Every day we need to have a presentation of ourselves to God. Everything you are on the inside needs to be presented to God. Your mind, your emotions, your will. Sometimes I find my will wanting to go this way. Do you? Sometimes I feel my emotions go this way. Do you? Present them to the Lord daily. Everything on the outside, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my lips, my ears need to be presented to the Lord on a daily basis. So what do we do? We begin our day by saying, Lord, I give my hands to you today to work for you. Lord, I give my feet to you today to go where you want me to go. Lord, I give my eyes to you today. I want to see only what you want me to see. Lord, I give my ears to you today that I might hear what you want me to hear. Every day, we need to be in the center 
the flame of God. We need to find out what direction God is going and go with him, like Blackaby said. We must be surrendered to his will, walking in his spirit, letting him pervade our thoughts, letting him keep us from sin, letting him make my decisions. So, question time. What are you doing with your life? You just floating downstream like everybody else? I like what the wilds, their, their statement They have a lot of different comments and quotes all over the place, but I love the one that says this. There's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Is that true? Think about it. Think about people who have gotten away from the Lord. Why? What happened? It's about self. If you're here today and you in your heart know, man, I'm not surrendered to the Lord and I'm not totally available to God, why? Isn't it primarily because of self? Well, Jacob said, hey, I'm willing to walk with you, Lord, and notice the result. You ready for this? Guess what? Seventy people went with him when he left Laban's farm. Jacob influenced a whole lot of people. And guess what? They were the most important people to him. It was his family, and they went with him. Can I ask you a question? Do you understand how important your influence is with other people? Question, are your friends, do they tend to walk closer to God because of you or farther away from God because of you? Do you in your life influence people to be more Christ-like or less Christ-like? It's always interesting to me to see certain people who seem to get away from God, away from God, away more and more. You know what I found in my life? And I think you would agree. When I got right with God, my friends became fewer and fewer of the people that I had. Their respect for me grew, but we didn't hang out anymore. And when you can hang out with carnal people and their lives continue to drift away from God, is there not something wrong? You see, we influence people with our speech, whether we influence them for the good or for the bad. Your walk will influence others with your actions, whether it's good or whether it's bad. With your attitude, whether it's good or bad. Your faithfulness or unfaithfulness, your excitement for God or your apathy, and it's not that big a deal. David Livingstone was a great missionary, one of the greatest who 
we have ever read about. He labored for many, many years in the darkest jungles of Africa. And because of his sacrificial work, today it is said that there are over 300 million Christians in Africa. One time, Livingston received a letter from a certain society. Here's what the letter said. It said, have you found a good road to get to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to get to you. Does that sound logical? He wrote them back. Here's what he said. He said, if you have men that will come only if there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. That's availability. Saying, Lord, I don't know where you're taking me. And I don't know how I'm getting there. But I'm available to work for you. And that is the kind of walk that God uses to influence others. Jacob was available to walk with God. Let me give you one more. Next week, we're going to look at three more. So I've already told you what I'm preaching on. So if you don't like this one, I guess I'll see you the following week. But I want you to notice in closing today, a man you're well aware of. His name's Noah. And I want you to notice Noah because he was so available to work for God. Now, I'm going to give you a New Testament verse for this one because it's so concise and it gives you everything that you need to know. We could go back to the book of Genesis and read a lot of passages. But this one verse gives so much information about Noah and how he was available to work for God. Here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah... Being warned of God. Now notice, don't miss this. Warned of what? Of things not seen yet. He was moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. All right? Remember, we're looking at two things. We're looking, first of all, at the response that they had. The response of Abraham, here am I. The response of Jacob, here am I. The response of Noah, Lord, here am I. But notice what caused Noah to work for God. It was his fear of God. Oh, not but reverential awe, an overwhelming heart and an overwhelming awe of the God who had brought him to God. What's the Bible say about that? It moved him. That's what it says. And that's what I'm talking about today. Does it move you? Are you moved? Oh, how Noah was moved because of awe. 
Most people would have thought of a thousand different excuses for not doing what God said here, wouldn't they? But Noah didn't argue, he didn't quibble, he didn't make excuses, he didn't complain, he didn't procrastinate, he didn't question God. He simply began obeying God, and the Bible says he did it in faith. He did it because he trusted God. He did it because he believed God. Now, think about it, because this is another story. We've all heard the story of Noah, so what's it really mean? Think about it with me, would you? Noah had never even seen rain. Never one time. Never seen it. Noah had no clue what a flood was. There had never been a flood before. Noah had never seen an ark. Build an ark. Uh, what's an ark? He had no experience in ark building. He had no help. He didn't come along and say, hey, you guys, uh, you know, let's all join together and help me. Didn't have that. He had his sons. That's it. And he had a whole world laughing him at him, calling him a lunatic. <laughs> Think about it. Hey, if you've never been to the Ark Encounter, at least go in the parking lot and look at it from the outside. Just, just do something. So you get an idea of the size of the ark. It is said that it was at least 438 feet long, and some say 500 feet long. It was 73 feet wide and 44 feet high, more than one and a half times the length of a football field and more than four stories high. It was a monstrosity. For nearly 120 years, every single day, Noah built the ark, and he did one other thing while he's building. He preached righteousness. That's what the Bible says. He built, and he preached, and he built, and he preached, and he built, and he preached, and he preached, and he built. And he just kept hammering away, and every day he preached. Question. So you're asking a lot of questions today. I know, I know. Here's another question. What arcs? does God have for you to build? What ark does he have for you? Oh, it may not seem as big as Noah's. It may not seem as awesome or time-consuming, but it is the one that you can build for your God. What is it? Every believer every believer ought to be working for God it's interesting many are available but not prepared and there are other people that are prepared and they're not available let me explain to you what I mean let's think about the ones who are available but not prepared God is trying to prepare us for the future tasks with different events in our lives God is preparing us for more. And so when things come into our lives that we don't like, God is simply saying, I am preparing you for more. But then you have people that are prepared, but they're not available. 
I can remember when I went to college, there were guys, and then I went on to grad school and seminary, and there were guys that were just every single year. Every year, they would stay another year, and then they would stay another year, and then they would stay another year. And it was like they're just professional students. They just love to learn the academics of the Bible. Do you know of some people in some churches where they just take in and take in and take in and take in and take in more? Do you know what Paul said? That knowledge alone puffs up. You want to know what you need to do? Do what Preston does. Go get involved in witnessing to prisoners. Or, or go downtown with Sack Lunch Saturday like yesterday as some of you went down and not only give them food that will satisfy for maybe three hours, but give them spiritual food that will satisfy for life. You see, when you take in and are prepared as you need to be, you then need to go out and give out because you want to know what will happen to you there. The pride gets knocked out of you. When you serve, it does. It gets knocked out of you. People come to church, and do you know what some people say? I just want to be fed. Great, you should be fed. You should go to a church where you're going to get fed. But I know some people that have been fed and fed and fed and fed. And they're more like the toad that got so full that they couldn't hop. <laughs> Someone once said this to their pastor. Wasn't me, so don't write me an email and get mad. They said, we are looking for a church where we can be fed. You know what this pastor said to him? A little more bold than what I would have been. He said, why not take off your bib? put on your apron and get to work serving Jesus. Folks, when we get to heaven and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus is not going to ask us, how much of the Bible did you hear? He's going to ask us, how much of the Word of God did you do? Oh, how we today in churches need to understand church is not where we come to do necessarily the work of God, but rather it is a place that we come to fellowship, have our needs met, and have ourselves meeting other people's needs and understand that it's a place that we come to learn in order to go and do the work of Christ. So what are you doing? to further the kingdom of God. Friend, listen. Please listen to me. I've seen it too many times. When you close the door to service, you open the door to all kinds of temptation. Here's what I'm saying. You say, no, I can't serve there. No, I can't serve there. No, I won't do that. No, I'll come to church. No, I'm not going to. No, no. You open wide the gate of the temptation that will come flooding your way. 
Oh, it's so true. What is the tool of the devil? Idle time. Well, notice, last of all, the result of Noah working for God. Did the multitude come and jump in the ark? No, but his family did. His family did. God honored Noah and his availability to work for God by saving not only he and his wife, but his family. Think with me, okay? You've heard the story, but let's think of it in a very realistic way. One day the crowd has gathered. They're doing the same thing they've done for so many years. They've seen Noah's finished work, and now it's complete. And what do you think they're doing? Same thing they did when they watched him work. Same thing they did when they watched him build. They're laughing. They're mocking. They're jeering. And you know what? I bet you anything. I bet you it wasn't just a dad out there mocking. I bet it was entertainment for dad and mom. But I don't think dad and mom came by themselves. I think they brought their kids and said, look at this idiot. Look at this fool. Look at this monstrosity. What in the world is that? I don't know how it started, but maybe it started with a clap of thunder. Oh, it got their attention because they'd never heard it before. All of a sudden, it begins to rain, and not just rain, but it is pouring rain and they're driven to higher ground and higher ground and the flood is rising the rivers they burst their banks the angry tide rips from the seas and people now they're running and running faster panicked running to who oh you know who noah They run to Noah. They run to the ark. They run and flee to safety. It's their only source of survival. Can't you see them? Can you not hear them? In their panic state, banging on the door of the ark, begging Noah to open the door. But there was a problem. Noah didn't shut the door. God did. You say, no, no, there's something in my heart that says as I sit in my seat, not fair. No, God, you can't do that. It's not fair, but hold it. Time out. God, in his mercy, <laughs> provided a way of escape. God, in his mercy, gave him 120 years to repent. Oh, thank God Noah did his job of working, did his job of witnessing, and did his job. Yeah, Noah did it. Although he didn't know what an ark was. And he probably didn't even know how to build one. But he said, Lord, I'll do it. 
because I'm available. How about you? Are you available? You know why so many Christians drop out of church? Fall by the wayside and disappear? And I've been in ministry and been pastoring long enough to know this. Why do they fall away so quickly? Will you look at me? I I really think I know why. Because they're not willing to pay the price to be available to walk with Jesus. Oh, oh, yeah, Lord, I'll I'll do that if it doesn't cost me anything. If it doesn't take much time. If it's easy. But wait a minute. What's the definition of availability? To place oneself at God's disposal. For God to do anything and everything in you and through you and with you and to you. That he chooses. Abraham was willing and available to do the will of God. Jacob was available to walk with God. And Noah said, Lord, here am I. I'm available, Lord, to work for God. Availability. It's time to go, isn't it? Time to go. Get in your car, drive home, do your normal routine. We all do it. And let it either fall on good ground or let the thorns and the rocks trample the seed away and it not do the work that God intended. One more time. Are you available? Would you bow your heads? Availability. Friend, the greatest question I could ever ask you is, are you available and open to receive Jesus Christ into your heart. It's an amazing thing that God provided an ark for you to escape his judgment. The great ark in the Old Testament only pointed to the great ark of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus was available to go to a cross and die on a cross to forgive sinners like you and me. You're here today, and it's no accident that you're here. You're watching online. It's no accident that you're watching. The most important availability that will ever come to your heart is are you available to receive Jesus? He's the only way to escape judgment. Friend, one day, if you don't receive Christ now, you'll be begging and knocking for mercy. But God will say, I gave you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And friend, I tell you today, take the opportunity this morning to be born again, to be saved, to get in the ark. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? You need to open your heart to Jesus. Understanding that in your sin, you'll never get to heaven. But understanding that Jesus Christ stands with open arms to rescue you, to save you. So I want to lead you in a prayer, the sinner's prayer, to receive Christ. So here's the prayer. I want to say it slow. You repeat after me from your heart to God. Just pray, dear Lord God. I know that I am a sinner. And I know there's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. And then pray, but I believe that you gave your son Jesus to die for me. And right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. And then pray that in Jesus' name. 